The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 25. Psalm 25. If you hadn't guessed, we were kind of doing a prayer emphasis week as we start 2024 and just thinking about pursuing a prayer-filled 2024 and of how do we live and how do we operate as Christians in a world that is uh, the way it is, right, with all of its craziness. And prayer is something that's kind of a, a challenging topic in some ways because we hear uh, we hear a couple of things when we hear you need to pray more, right? <laughs> the, the, you hear the kind of that voice, the kind of the American productivity voice of you're not, you're not doing it enough, right? Like you, you must do more. <laughs> you must produce more. more. More things must happen through your prayer. And, and on the other side, sometimes you think, well, if God's sovereign, why do we need to pray, right? And there's this kind of this, well, he's just out there, he's in control, why do we need to pray? Because he's going to do what he knows is best anyway, so why pray? And of course, the answer comes back, well, you're commanded to pray. <laughs> but I think there's a, a, a fundamental aspect here of just of the fact that prayer is just about relationship. It's, it's about knowing who God is and, and walking with God and relating to God. And when you have a relationship with someone, you talk to them, you interact with them, you, you engage them. And prayer is that engagement with God. Uh, I, I like a few quotes from uh, E.M. Balance has written a couple of books on prayer, and I like a few quotes that I've run across from him. Prayers outlive the lives of those who uttered them, outlive a generation, outlive an age, outlive a world. It's interesting to realize that we're in, once you're involved in a relationship with the God of the universe, who's timeless, <laughs> even those prayers that we pray are, in a sense, timeless as well. Prayer is not the foe to work. It does not paralyze activity. It works mightily. Prayer itself is the greatest work. And again, you have to understand, if you, if you, if you think of, like, I live my life and God does his thing and we're separate then this doesn't make sense. But if you understand that prayer is, is an expression of our relationship with God, then, then it's all about just it's about relating to God. And prayer, is, is, that, prayer is, that, is that activity of relating to God in such a way that you, you are at work. You are, you're engaged in the greatest work, which is relating to God, and everything else is, flows out of that in a sense. Another one by Ian Pounds is, The prayer closet is the battlefield of the church, its citadel, the scene of heroic and unearthly conflicts. And so this morning, I want to take us to Psalm 25 and look at Psalm 25 uh, because this is a prayer. Uh, and it's, it's a prayer designed to uh, do a few things uh, for David as he, as he put it together. Um, and, but I also want to give you kind of my relationship with Psalm 25. Uh, because uh, I've, I've memorized and quoted from Psalm 25 uh, since I was in high school. When I was in high school, uh, you, you know, you'd have to run uh, before s- soccer season. And so over the summertime, you're, you're running uh, to get, get in shape for soccer. And uh, I don't know if you've ever run for any long distance at all, over, you know, two or three hundred meters but once you, you run, you know, more than a couple of minutes, your, your mind is like, uh, what am I doing again? Uh, this, this, this doesn't seem to go very well, you know, for me at least. 
My wife reports that she can just keep running, uh, but for me, I'm like, uh, my brain's like, uh, we could stop any time, you know, this is good, like, this is boring <laughs> and hurtful, you know, why, am I, why are you doing this? Uh, and uh, so when I was, uh, but at the same time, so I ran across a few verses from Psalm 25 and other passages of scripture, and so I started to quote them while I was running to get my mind off of running, um, and to keep it, to keep the bigger picture of what I was doing in place. And it wasn't just that I was training for soccer. It was that I was, in fact, walking with God even while I was running and training for soccer, that there was something more that I was doing here. And part of it was, especially for Psalm 25, is I hate to lose. I hate losing. You t- I tell, ask my siblings, right? Whenever I came close to losing as a, as a kid, I would, I would do anything possible to win. And when you hate losing, Psalms like Psalm 25 echo. I mean, they're like, oh yeah, I don't want to be ashamed. You know, I don't want to be disappointed. I want to win. And here David is praying that, that God would have him to win in life, in a sense, to not be ashamed. And, and it's and it seems like, especially when I was young, it seemed like it was David was saying, I, I don't want to experience shame at all. Hold it off from me. Never let me lose, in a sense. The older I've gotten, I've realized, and you can see that in the psalm, you just miss it when you're young sometimes, is that he was, he was experiencing shame even as he was praying that he would be released from that experience, in a sense. And the older you get, the more you realize that shame is something that kind of eats at you, that it's it's something that is a, is a problem for you. Like, like you, can't, you, you can't win at everything all the time, all the way through life, so to speak, right? And, and when that happens, you, shame eats at you, and, and you tend to pick idols, if you will. That's the biblical term for it, idolatry. So, so this is kind of how the, the progression works for, for us typically in life, is we see something that someone else has, some quality, some financial success, some whatever, some happiness in life, and we wish we had that. And we, we feel like that we don't for some reason, or we, we, might, we, we might be wrong, but we, we think that we don't, and we focus on the fact that we don't, and, we, and, we, and, and, we're, we're, and it turns from kind of envy into shame, like, well, well, why can't I get this thing? I need to find out how to get this thing. What do I do? You know what I mean? And then something comes along that promises success. It promises relief. It promises what I want to have. It might be a relationship. It might be finances. It might be winning. <laughs> and we worship that promise. We worship that thing that makes those promises to us. So for me, at times, when I was young, you know, soccer would promise, hey, you can win at soccer. So I would worship soccer, right? Sometimes I would, I would, I would, I would want to feel loved, and I would think, okay, this is how I can feel loved. And I would, in a sense, someone would say, well, you would feel love if you do X, Y, and Z. Well, okay, I'll do that. And we all have the human heart, the Bible describes as, in a sense, an idol maker, an idol factory. It, it produces idols all the time. Why? Because it's, in a sense, saying, you're, you're going around saying, I want to feel loved, I want to feel accepted, I want to feel success in my life, 
And we, we're always looking for something that will make promises to us. And we find those things that make promises to us, whether they can keep those promises or not. And we go after them. Can I just point out a few, at least in American society? One of them is productivity. That you, just need, you just need to be productive enough, right? Like if you want to be successful in life, be productive. You know, work hard. Is working hard good? Absolutely. It's a good thing to do. Will it give you no shame in life? You can work pretty hard and still lose. In fact, kind of prayer comes in and says, uh, you know, if you would, you know, when, when it hears the, the command to pray, it's like, okay, then you just pray more, you know, so you can pray enough. But that's not really the voice of Jesus saying, pray so that you've prayed enough or else I won't love you. <laughs> that's not the voice of Jesus. Another God that we have is the God of escape. We're like, just, just forget about your problems and go watch Netflix. <laughs> or go do the favorite thing you want to do. And we escape and, 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 and we get this promise like, you'll be successful or at least you won't have the problems that you think you have if you can just get away from them. Sometimes it's money that promises that. Like if you just get enough money, then you can escape your problems, right? Or if you get enough toys, you can escape and we, we go after those promises to not feel shame, to, to feel success in some fashion, because the God of escape is saying, if you just do what I say, you'll feel the way you want to feel. The other God that's, I think, pre prevalent in American society is, is the God of kind of equivalency. Like, you should at least be like the, your, your neighbor, so to speak, right? Like, like, if they have that, then you can get it too, right? Like, and, and if you can't get it, there's something wrong with you. And we live like, well, if everyone's free to get whatever they want, then we should all have the same stuff. Regardless of the fact that we all have different gifts and abilities. And then we're like, well, God should give us all the same gifts and abilities. You know, God wants to do something unique with you and with me that's different. He wants us to do something for you that's different than he wants to do with me. He's given us different skills and abilities. Like, the things that make you happy potentially and you successful in, in, in walking with God are not going to be the same for me necessarily. But we operate as if we, we cast our eyes around, we watch our neighbors, we see how they live, we see the toys they have, and we say, I'll be okay, I'll be happy if I have what they have. And when it comes to prayer, equivalency kind of says, well, you should be talking to God about what you don't have, <laughs> because if you could have it, then you'd be happy. And Psalm 25 kind of cuts at all of those things. David is, in a sense, coming and saying, God, I want success, but he's willing to submit himself to God's definitions of success, to listen to the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, and say, God, I trust you to know what's best for me in the midst of a broken and troubled world, as we'll see. And Psalm 25 is an interesting psalm in itself because structurally it's an acrostic, right? So it takes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and just makes, and starts that with every new line of the poem. Except for the beginning, which is kind of confusing, 
And in verses 18 and 19, it doubles the resh or the R of the words that are in 18 and 19. So it's not quite, it's not quite a pure, true acrostic for every, every letter, but it's basically there. And then the last verse of Psalm 25 is not, it's not even in the acrostic at all. It's just added on. But as we'll see when we get there, it's designed to, to move us out of the acrostic. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's usually when you have something like an acrostic, like, you know, what, when we do, when we talk about the ABCs, right, and we put things in ABCs, what are we trying to do? Usually we're trying to commit things to memory, and we're trying to get things like, like, like get, get things in, a, in a, a rote way that can be repeated over and over again, right? Like, that's, that's why we do the ABCs the way we do them, when we make ABC songs, and we, right, because we're trying to teach kids how to read and know their letters, and David doesn't need to know his letters, but in some ways it's like he's trying to say, you know what, even as I think about any of the words of my life and the activities of my life, I want this basic truth to be true as I think about success in life. And so I want to look this morning at three different things that he's saying here in Psalm 25 about how do I operate in relationship with God as I pursue success in life and how prayer is essential to that. It should be more like not so much a task I do as much as just the breath I breathe. And so let's look at Psalm 25 together and, and just see, first of all, that we need to lift up our souls. Notice what he says here. It says, of David, and it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. It starts off here with the psalm, and he's saying, in a sense, he's saying, look, uh, if none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Like, like Lord, I'm lifting up my soul to you. Um, there's this sense here of, of just coming to God and, and knowing that you're, you're like lifting yourself up to God, saying, God, here's, here's, here I am. It's, it's different than just kind of, when we think about uh, having faith in God, sometimes we just think of having faith in God as being simply like, I believe that he exists. Does that make sense? Like, it's kind of that intellectual ascent of, okay, I believe he exists. And, and obviously, we, we run into people all over the, you know, the world that don't believe that he exists. And so, well, I have faith that he does exist, so I'm good. But when he says, I lift up my soul, it's a different picture than just intellectual ascent that I believe he exists, and therefore, I have to operate as if he does a little bit. To lift up your soul is an act of trust in God. It's to say, God, I believe this, well, what do you believe? What do you trust about God? And really, when you lift up your soul to someone, you're bearing your soul to them. You, the only people that you do that with are people you know love you, right? Like, you don't bear your soul to someone you're like, oh, they could take that and they could knife me in the back, right? You don't do that. 
So when we talk, we're talking about this faith in God and, 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 and trust in God, we're not just talking about, okay, I know he exists and I know I better, I better do some things to, to make sure that I don't get on his bad side and I get all of those things. No, this, this trust in God is this, you know what? I trust that he loves me. I trust that I can bring all of who I am before him with all its con- questions and mess and confusion and doubt and mess-ups. I- I'm-, I'm trusting that he is on, he's got my back, he's on my side, he-, he wants what's good for me, he loves me, right? And frankly, in life, we don't get that type of relationship very often. Maybe with our family, but not always. Maybe a few close friends. But we often don't have someone in our life who loves us regardless, right? Who's like, this is, uh, you know, I, I am on your side. I am for you. I know all of your mess. I know all of your mess ups, but I still am on your side. But here, David is saying, God, I lift up my soul to you. This is where I'm starting. I'm just expressing trust in you because you are a good God. I'm not building a relationship with God based on productivity, like, okay, God, I'm lifting up my soul to you because, you know what, I've 100% done what you told me to do, I've made no mess-ups, and therefore, hey, look at the, the, the finished article here. As we'll see in the psalm, that's just not the case. It's, it's not the God of, God of escape, like, God, I'm so grateful that you helped me not worry about winning at all. <laughs> I just escaped all that. He's coming to God saying, God, I lift up my soul to you. Let me not be ashamed. He's like, God, I've got some things I want to happen in my life. I've got some things that I think are good for me. I want to, to, to pursue. I want to happen. And I don't want shame and disgrace and disappointment to rule my life. And as we look at 2024, don't you feel the same way? It's not like you want to go through 2024 and think, oh, I just want it to be like 2020, you know what I mean, right? <laughs> like, I don't know anything that's going to happen and nothing, everything, all my plans change. No, we, we go into 2024 thinking, you know what, I want good things to happen. I want some successes. I want some joys. I want some, <laughs> some glory, if you will. I want some goodness to emerge in 2024. And here, David is saying, I get that as I, I look to you, God. I, I trust that you love me. I trust that I can, I can follow you. Hebrews eleven six kind of echoes the same idea, right? It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists towards those who seek him. That, that there's this... This, this relationship with God, it's not just an intellectual ascent, it's a pursuit of God, it's a, it's a relationship with God. Now, Psalm 16 is interesting because he starts this way, and then he's going to go into some things, and then he's going to end this way again. So let's notice the ending of the psalm, we'll come back to the ending again, but you gotta, when, he, when he says, why would, why would even David pray this? Why would he even say, lift up my soul, let me not be ashamed? Why would he say those things? Well, you go to the end of the psalm and you figure out why. Verse 16 says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. 
Here's why I know that he's feeling shame and disappointment and a sense of failure in his life. Why? Because he feels alone. One of the things that shame does, that sense of failure does to you, is you feel alone. If, if you feel like your boss is like, ah, I'd rather fire this guy rather than keep this guy, right? That's a sense of failure, right? You, you feel alone in that. If, if you feel like your, your relationship with uh, your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend is, is not going well, that they, they would rather not be with you, you feel alone. And he says here, I'm, I'm lonely. I, I feel alone in my problems. And not only do I am alone, but I'm also afflicted. And this word for affliction in the psalm, in the context of the psalm, has the idea of, well, I, I've made some mistakes and I can see the results of my mistakes. You know what I mean? Like, I'm dealing with my affliction, and not, not always only my mistakes, but I'm just dealing with stuff, you know what I mean? I'm dealing with things that aren't going the way I want them to go. Part of it's my fault, I know, but I still got to deal with it. He says, the troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Like the idea of it's getting overwhelming for me, right? Have you ever been there? Where you've, you look at your life and you think, well, it's mostly a bunch of mess ups and it's getting a little overwhelming dealing with all, all the ways that I've messed up. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. He's gone through a portion of his life and now he has enemies. He, have people who, he has people who hate him, who think he's worthless and, and disgusting or whatever. We don't know the details. I mean, we know from David's life. He's got Saul, at least minimum. But he's like, he's got problems. And he's like, God, look at my life. See my problems. See, see the way I operate. See, see the issues I have. Go guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. And so we see here David's, we get a better glimpse of David's fear of shame. One, he's experiencing it. But he doesn't want it to continue. He doesn't want to continue feeling lonely. He doesn't want to continue with a sense of failure. He doesn't want to continue with a sense of guilt. He doesn't want to continue with a sense of hopelessness. These, these are the things he's wrestling with. And he's saying, God, I'm coming to you. you. You know all the ways I've messed up. You know all the people who are against me, whether I've messed up or not especially in David's life. He hadn't messed up in some ways and he still had enemies, right? And he's saying, God, I, I need you. You are the lover of my soul. And, and here's, here's the, one of the things that we struggle with a lot and I really appreciated Pastor Jeff's message before Christmas about God being the shepherd of our souls. Why? Because he loves us. But you know what we struggle with? We struggle as we go through life to believe that God loves us. We see our affliction and we think, God caused this because he doesn't like me anymore. <laughs> we, look at our, we look at our failure and we think, ah, I, did, I wasn't enough for God. He didn't think I could do it. He didn't help me out because he didn't think I could handle it. And, and we don't think that God loves us 
Because we look at our problems and we equate that as God not loving us. Rather than look, seeing it as the, the, the line to pull us in. You know, when you're in trouble, sometimes you don't know you're in trouble, right? Have you ever been on the ocean? And you're, uh, when you're a kid and you're on the, on the, kinda, you know, on the beach there and the waves are coming in, I, I remember being there and the, the waves would come in and they would, one time we were there and they were so big and I was so little that they would literally, I, would, I was enjoying it at the time, let, let the wave flip me all the way over underwater after it hit me and then I'd come up, you know what I mean? Like, so I'd sit there, boom, and I'd go under and I'd let it flip me and then I'd stand back up again, you know? But the ocean can pretty quickly, if you get in the right current, can take you out, right? It's called an undertow. It can take you out. And before you realize you're in trouble, you're in trouble. And it's the same way in life, frankly. A lot of times we think we're okay. Like, like I'm, I'm working hard. I'm, 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 I'm accumulating some wealth. I'm being successful in life. People say I'm doing pretty good. And God's like, no, but you're headed for destruction. There's an undertow happening, and it's taking you out. And the first realization we have that we're in trouble is the lifeguard throws the life ring out there. But it looks like we're in trouble. And that's oftentimes what trouble is. It's not the fact that, oh, now God hates me. Trouble is that life preserver that says, hey, you didn't realize you're in trouble, but I'm letting you know you're in trouble so I can pull you back in. Because God loves us. And, and David here makes this his basic assumption. God loves me in the midst of my sense of failure. I can lift up my soul to God. And that's a huge assumption to make, but as we'll see, it's a good assumption to make because it's what God tells us about who he is. The second thing that we do, not only do we lift up our soul in prayer, we're expressing our trust in God, we're also asking for mercy. We're asking for mercy. It says, verse 4 says, make, so Verse 4 says, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. This is why you can realize why I memorized this when I was running, right? Like, make me know your paths. Like, how do I get, uh, get done here? Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So he makes two basic requests. He's like, God, guide me on your paths. Why? Because you are the God of deliverance. Like, if I'm on your paths, then I can be on the paths toward success, toward hope, toward forgiveness, toward joy. Make me know those paths. Instruct me. Guide me. And the other request that he makes is, remember me according to your mercy and your steadfast love. Not according to all the ways I mess up. Not according to the ways I've messed up, for, especially from when I was young, but according to your steadfast love, remember me. He's asking for forgiveness. But, but when he's using the word remember here, it's not just, okay, I'm forgiven. It's the idea of God remembers me, forgives me, and, and is, is thinking about my future now. 
He's got a future of hope, a future of grace in mind for me because he has forgiven me. And so these two requests to, to, to be instructed on God's paths and to be remembered according to his mercy are both requests for mercy from God. When we have a sense of failure, we're saying, God, I, I need to be set back on the right path. I need to, to, to know that you're guiding me with your mercy and your grace. And what's interesting here in the, in the chapter is then that he goes into, he switches from kind of directing his uh, attention to God to talking about God, in a sense, to himself. Notice verse 8. Uh, Sorry, I didn't quite get there. there. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He teaches the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. Now, can I just back up here for a second? I I grew up in America. I I know how the God of productivity speaks, and it's not Jesus, okay? (laughs) Because here's what I heard as a young person when I Heard, good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He teaches the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. What I heard was, if you're humble enough, God will instruct you. If you're humble enough, if you're repentant enough, then God will help you out. That's the God of productivity speaking, if you will. You just got to do enough. That's not Jesus. Because he's not coming with that voice. Again, this is a God who loves you. Do do, do I, with my children, say to them, you know what, I'm never going to give you advice unless you do enough of what I say. (laughs) No, I'm not. Why? Because I'm on their side. The more they mess up, the more I help them out, right? Because they're my children. I love them. I'm 100% for them. And, and so when you, you read these words and you think, okay, well then, you can, you can read that and you can hear, oh, I better, I better get better <laughs> at being humble and then I'll know that God is going to help me out. But that's not what he's saying. He's, he's just saying, look at who God is. He's good. He's upright. He instructs sinners in the way. He doesn't wait for the, you to turn your life around and then he's like, now I'll give you my advice. He instructs sinners in his works. This this verse 10, I think, is just a key verse in this whole psalm. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, he's asking for God to guide him in, in, in the right paths. Here's the paths that God wants to guide him into. That God loves him and that God is faithful. God, I thought you were going to get me on successful paths. He is. You know what your life can be like? If you know God loves you, if you know he's faithful, what, what kind of life can you have if you stay on that path? But notice what goes on to say, I don't have it here uh, but, uh, on, for the screen, but notice what he goes on to say here. He says, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who then is, is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in his well-being, and his offspring shall dwell and inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. 
My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Here we have, so what's interesting here in this prayer is, which we don't often talk about sometimes in prayer, is David switches from talking to God to talking to himself. He said, we can't do that in prayer. God, t- prayer with, is always talking to God, not to ourselves. But in prayer, especially when you need to be reminded who God is, it's okay to remind a part of yourself like, hey, this is the God you're talking to. It's not the God of productivity. <laughs> it's not the God of, of money. It's not the God of success. It's the God of gods who loves me. He's good and upright. He's faithful. He, he forgives my sins. He, he, when I respect him, he's, he's, he's a friend to me. When I look to him, he's there. Then you see, he's, it's like he's telling himself, he's just like, I, I know you're afraid of failure, and I'm, you're afraid of continued failure, and you're afraid of disappointment, and these things are beating your soul down. But you can have confidence in God's goodness. You can have confidence in God's friendship in the midst of your supposed failures. Productivity would say, God loves you if you can see results. That's how you know God loves you, if you can see the results. God loves you if you don't need to, you know, it's almost like productivity is saying, you don't need to pray you just need to see results. And the God of the Bible wants to have a relationship with you. He's deliberately drawing you into needing to pray to him. Why? Because he wants to be in relationship. He wants to walk with you. He wants to, to be with you. And the, the God of productivity is like, nope, no relationship, just produce. The God of escape is saying, man, you can only know God loves you if you get out of all your problems. Can you, can you figure out a way? Can you maneuver through life? Again, that's not about prayer. The God of escape doesn't need prayer, doesn't want prayer. He just wants you to escape. And frankly, the God of equivalency is the same way. God would love you if you have the same or better as someone else, that other person you're looking at. Again, that God doesn't need prayer. Why? Because I just know if I never feel a difference between myself and someone else, if I can never notice a difference, then I'm fine. That's not a relationship. That's not talking with someone. That's not knowing someone. That's not hearing them and and loving them and appreciating them and caring for them. That's just doing certain things to get a certain result. A formula, if you will. And that's why we are called in our prayer to ask for mercy. Why? Because he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to see how he's involved in our lives. He wants to see that he, care, that he cares about what's going on and he can help. And he wants to, us to know that. This is what prayer is. It's like breathing in a relationship. Where you just know and appreciate the other person. You're drawn into that with them. And God uses the failures, the difficulties, the problems, the fears of disappointment 
to say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The last way that we do that is we pursue grace. Again, it goes back to what this, this last part of the, of the psalm, in Psalm 25, where he says, turn to me and be gracious to me. He's saying, he's saying this is, this is I, 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 just, I need you to, be, to show your grace to me. It, for the affliction, he doesn't want to feel lonely anymore. And you know what? One of the ways you don't feel lonely is when you, <laughs> is you take your soul to God and realize he loves you. That he's with you in your sense of failure. He's with you even though people, other people hate you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And he ends it in Psalm 25, in the acrostic anyway, by saying, May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Here's what ultimately how he ends the psalm in a sense. He says, look, I'm just going to seek to have integrity. I'm going to try to bring all of myself to, to who you are and say, this is who I am. And I need you with all of me and all my mess ups. I'm just being honest about who I am. Integrating that God loves me and is with me right now in the midst. That's what he's saying. He says, I want to integrate not only who I am, but the fact that you're with me in the midst of that. But then he adds this last verse, right? Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And Israel is a reference to the nation of Israel. It's, it's recognizing that there's a bigger play, plan going on. There's bigger things that are happening than just in my life and what's going on with me. That God's plan of redemption has not and will not fail. And that I'm part of a bigger picture here, that some, some of the reasons why that I'm facing disappointment and failure is because God is doing something more than just drawing me to himself. He's doing something to help others and draw them to himself. And he, ultimately what he's saying is, he's, he's saying, I'm going to put my hope that you're with me, God, that I can lift up my soul to you. That, that, that when he says, I'm waiting here, it's that word for, I'm waiting with hope. I'm, I'm, I'm putting this expectation out that you're going to show up. Why? Because you are with me. You, you are concerned about what's going on in my life. And that I'm placing my commitment, my trust, my active trust in that sense, into just trusting that I can walk with you rather than running to the idols that are calling out to me. Now, as you go through this psalm, what's interesting is, that Jesus Christ is the, in some ways, is the answer to this prayer. <laughs> because he is the one, he is Emmanuel, God with us. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. He, he enters into our suffering so that we're no longer lonely in our suffering because he has experienced it as well. He's had afflictions himself. He takes our shame on the cross and gives us his glory. He sweat drops of blood because his troubles were enlarged by our troubles. Yet, he is our redemption. He is the one who loves us regardless of our failures, regardless of our afflictions, regardless of our problems. And so, kind of a quick question this morning is, how will you pursue a prayer-filled 2024? How will you pursue it? And that might mean for you, it might mean um, you know, committing to pray more, and that's, that's fine, that's good. I would encourage that. 
We all need to do that in various ways. But since this psalm is an acrostic, I'll offer up an acrostic to you. Laps. Do laps. Right? The L, again, stands for that, that sense of lifting up our souls to God. The A for asking for mercy. The P for pursuing grace. If you will, this year, day after day, lift up your soul to God, ask for mercy, pursue the grace of just walking with him and knowing that he's with you. If you do that, you will have a prayer-filled 2024. Why? Because it will become like breathing. You're just going to God. God, this is what's going on in my life. I need your help. I need you to remember me. I need you to guide me. God, I'm just going to wait on you, wait and recognizing that I can hope in your goodness in my life because you are with me. And you just breathe that out day after day, moment by moment. And it's, it's like running. It's not always fun, but it does produce results. <laughs> and so that's my encouragement to you. With a little acrostic, do laps. Lift up your soul, ask for mercy, pursue grace. And as we do that together, and, and one of the ways that, that that sense of God's love for you happens is as you're doing that, but also as you're in community groups, recognizing that other people love you, that they're with you in the midst of your problems, that they're praying for you. We encourage you to get in one if you haven't gotten in one. Why? Because we want you to know God's love for you. And that happens through the body of Christ. That's why it's called the body of Christ. And so, as we go into 2024, the joy of praying. Man, didn't you enjoy those prayers this morning? Being taken to the throne of grace and be reminded of who God is. Just like in this psalm, they were telling us, this is who God is. I'm reminding me and you of who God is. He's a, he's a God of goodness. He's a God of friendship. He's a God of promises who gives grace to us. This is the God we worship, not the God of productivity, not the God of escape, but the God who loves us, who is with us, who engages us for his glory. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that we can talk to you, that we can lift up our souls to you. And, and we, I don't know everything that's going on in everyone's life here this morning, but I know you know. You're aware. And you still love them. You still want them to know your love for them. And so, Lord, we lift up our souls to you with all our frailty, all our fears of shame and disappointment, our senses of guilt and failure. I just ask that you would be present with us, that you would guide us along your path so that we can have success in life, walking with you, knowing you, doing good to others. That we could, uh, that we could know your, your forgiveness in our lives, and even though that we have messed up and we have done wrong things to others and we have uh, ignored you and, and angered you, yet you forgive us because of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to, to walk in that grace, to know your love, to know your forgiveness, and to seek 
to just step by step follow you through this year. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.